don't know how you are. Again, like I said, we spent a lot of time traveling. We drove out to Indiana on Tuesday, uh, drove back yesterday. Um, I hate holiday traffic. There were accidents like crazy. Matter of fact, on our way out to Indiana, figured out that there was an accident ahead. There was a 70, 60 to 70 minute delay on I-70. So I pulled over like every good driver should do. <laughs> and I was like, i got to find a way around this so I don't get stuck in traffic. And we did. We ended up finding a way around it. Uh, it, it literally probably a five-minute diversion saved us an hour in time. But I don't know how the Thanksgiving uh, attitudes or the Thanksgiving time frame can treat you throughout. Sometimes uh, Thanksgiving that leads into Christmas can lead us into chaos and busyness. I don't know how you run or, or what you go. You may go from uh, 100 miles an hour to 1,000 miles an hour. It sometimes feels like that and, and how the, the holidays kind of bring about that. One of the things that we're going to be talking about really over the next month is this idea that Christmas isn't canceled. Like we live in a cancel culture, right? Like we live in a society that if we don't agree with somebody or we don't like what they say or we don't like what's going on, we cancel them. As a matter of fact, to a certain extent, and I hate to say it this way, back in the day, Christian culture attempted to cancel Disney, which led to a number of other things that go on. And you can have your standpoints and your viewpoints and your opinions, but what I want us to look at today is this, that no matter what has happened throughout history, that Christmas still remains. Like the meaning behind Christmas, what we celebrate, why we celebrate what we celebrate, that regardless of whether it's government or individuals or anything else, that Christmas isn't canceled. That, that regardless of what you face, the difficulties and the struggles and the things that you're going through, that Christmas isn't canceled. Matter of fact, cancel culture, you know, is a modern form of ostracizing, excluding, or as we call it, canceling someone based upon what they've maybe said or done in the past. And I'm thankful to a certain extent that my past isn't brought up. Anybody could sit there and say, man, I am glad I am not reminded over and over and over again of my past because there were some pretty stupid things I did. Like, that's me. Like, if you were to go back and look up Brian Grout in high school, every one of you would probably go, man, I, I can't believe I sit under a dude like this, right? Like, if we went down that road, we would be in, those, in, in, in a tough predicament. And the truth of the matter is, and this is the beauty of the Christmas story, is that when others want to cancel you or when others have looked at you and said, look, there's no hope for this person, there's no good things that can come out of this person, Jesus said, look, I see the hope that is in you because the hope that is in you is the hope of Jesus to the whole world. That he can take what is broken, he can take that what has been canceled or thrown aside by the rest of culture, and he can say, I can make it something of value and purpose. Why? Because the value and purpose we have comes in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We just saw the text read there, Isaiah chapter 9. This is kind of one of the Old Testament verses that is going to lead us into the Christmas story in, in Matthew and Luke and things like that. But I want to look into this, you know, as we look at this idea of this Christmas isn't canceled. Listen to what it says, starting in verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of, I want you to kind of think about this, of the increase of whose government? His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice 
and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray and we'll jump into the sermon. Father, we thank you uh, for the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that we are broken. We acknowledge that we could be, in a certain extent, canceled by people because of the past that maybe we've lived, the sins that we walk so easily in. But God, we're thankful that we don't have to be canceled, but that we can walk with hope because your son Jesus was given to us, the one, the very thing that we needed to experience life, to have hope, to walk through the difficulties and the trials with joy and peace. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would speak to us through your word, that your spirit would convict, that your word would separate, just as it's called to do, that we would be that we would be rebuked, we would be taught, we would be corrected, and we would be trained in the righteousness that you have based upon your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to give you a couple quick announcements as we jump into the sermon. If you are new to our church, there are a couple of things that we offer. Number one, that video that we showed about Midpoint is about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Every year, Southern Baptist churches get together. We raise money for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our goal is $1,200. Uh, which is a large goal, all of this money that's raised through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to foreign or overseas missions, right? And so you're going to see over the next couple weeks, you're going to see videos about missionaries and what they're doing and things like that. But this is an awesome opportunity for us to come together with churches around the United States and around the world to help support our foreign missionaries who are overseas. Uh, And and there are, are people that are over there now. Some still haven't gone back because of COVID restrictions, depending on where they're they're located and things like that, but these are awesome opportunities for us to support and love and encourage and spread the gospel around the world. So we want to let you know about that. With that being said, right outside these doors, we have a little mailbox, if you want to call it that, and uh, as you leave today, uh, for, from us at least right now, we have cards in there for you guys, but one of the things that we try and do as a church is this. If you have Christmas cards to give and you want to give them to people within the church, we ask that you put them in there. You can put them by name. There's, there's slots by last name, right? You can put them in there by their last name order. And then here's what we ask you to do. If you'll give 25 cents, that's like less than half of what it costs to, to, uh, to, to send them in the mail. If you'll give 25 cents for every card you give, then that money also goes to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering as well. So it's just a way that you can pass on your Christmas cards to the people within the church and things like that where we can also raise money for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, to go towards the foreign and overseas mission. So with that said, I want to jump into Isaiah chapter 6. Anybody to a certain extent tired of cancel culture? All right, okay. All of us in some way, shape, or form have dealt with or been canceled in the past. It may be canceled in relationships. It may be somebody who we have said something or done something who has written us off and said, the heck with you. I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't, it's not going to roll. I'm not going to put up with it. There are all kinds of things that have gone on throughout society where we could say, listen, cancel culture has played out, but it's come in the form, in many forms and fashions I would say recently, matter of fact, as I was looking up, preparing for the sermon, people were trying to argue that 2012 was the beginning of cancel culture. I don't know. I think cancel culture has existed for a while. All you have to do is look back in time and see that for all of eternity, that people have worked to try and cancel God out of things. 
Like all we've got to do is look that, that God has been in some way, shape, or form to be canceled or removed or taken out of a place or a position of influence. And so as we dig into this idea of Christmas not being canceled, today's sermon idea is this idea of a kingdom growth. See, the Grinch tried to steal Christmas from Whoville, right? Marv and Harry tried to steal Christmas from the McAllisters. To a certain extent, we could probably blame it on Kevin because Kevin screwed it all up in the beginning, Right? But the reality is this, that the nation of Israel had plummeted into a grave darkness because they had chosen their own way rather than God. They had chosen to follow their own path rather than God's. As you dig into the history, uh, biblical history, and you understand that God was at work in his people, but yet his people continued to walk into disobedience, into, into, into uh, ways that were not of God, but they were following the ways of the people around them. And one of the things I want us to understand is this, that we as a church, we as the bride of Christ, we as believers cannot continue to walk in the ways of the world and then expect God to deliver us from the very things that with which we walk into because of sin, right? We are called to be different. Believers are called to be different people. We're to act differently. We're to speak differently. We're to treat people differently. That when we deal with conflict or cancellation, that when people want to cancel us, we don't cancel them out. That's why scripture is very clear that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, the powers, and the authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, there's a spiritual battle that has taken place. And so what I want to do today is to look at this kingdom that God talks about all throughout scripture that he's literally unpacking the beginning of here, Right? Like God has been establishing his kingdom throughout eternity, but then Jesus shows up on the scene. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, it's like the beginning of the end to a certain extent, right? Like Jesus fulfills all the prophecies, so God's kingdom has been built. It is being built. It's going to continue to grow. And so we're going to look today about this idea of kingdom growth. God doesn't intend for us to stay where we're at. God promises just as he does to the people of Israel not to leave them where they were, and he shows them grace with the birth of, Messiah, of the Messiah. And this is the thing, and this is the promise, and this is the hope that we can all have with this idea of canceling Christmas. That in the birth of Jesus Christ, when everybody else says that God doesn't care about you, that God is going to throw you to the side, that others shouldn't care about you, others shouldn't worry, that the grace of Jesus comes in and says that's not true at all. Regardless of where you are at, regardless of where you have been, regardless of the difficulties and struggles, that God throws the floodgates open with his love and grace to show us exactly what we need. So here's the idea again. Big statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God's kingdom is eternal and it will continue to expand until Christ's return. God's kingdom is eternal and will continue to expand until Christ's return. So if God's kingdom is established through the Messiah, which is what we're looking at here, then I want us to see four things today that I think Scripture very clearly makes evident to us for us to understand that Christmas isn't canceled. Number one is this, that Jesus is the gift that we need, right? Like, I don't know how you go into Christmas. I don't know how your kids are. I don't know. But like when I grew up, we had this thing called the JCPenney's catalog, right? I'm really dating myself this way. Anybody ever have the JCPenney's or the Sears catalog, 
right? Like, and I remember getting it when it came Christmas time. I grab a piece of note paper, notebook paper, and I would sit down by the fire in Wyoming because by this time it was cold. It's not like 70 almost like it was yesterday. That don't happen in Wyoming. It was cold. So I'd sit down by the fire and I'd be watching some Christmas movie and I would look at every cool thing under the sun that I could find in the J.C. Penney's and Sears catalog and put on my list. Like old school race car tracks where the car would sit on the track and I'd squeeze the gun button, you know what I'm talking about, and they'd race around. I always wanted one of those. I had one at one point and I killed it and asked for another one, never got again. Um, But these are the things that ends up taking place. But Jesus is the gift we need, right? And so oftentimes what we end up walking into life is this. We look at life as the JCPenney's catalog. Like, I want this, I want this, I want a little bit of that, I got all this, I'm going to have some of this. And I'll... But the reality is that all of those things go into this hole or this void that don't bring any purpose or any meaning. Listen to what he says when he says in verse 6, for to who? For to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. Isaiah is telling the people of Judah at that point that the promised hope in the Messiah is going to be the gift that we need. It is the gift that we need. Oftentimes, we look at life and we go, I need this, 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 and this. Matter of fact, I'm trying to deal with this with my kids right now. I'm like, is this a need or is it a want? Right? Like, and don't get me wrong, needs are okay. But it's the wants, or I mean, sorry, wants are okay, but it's the needs that have to be met. And Jesus is the gift that I need. And we can go down this whole road, Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, and the, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we end up having to see or understand is that if he's the gift I need, then I also have to accept that gift. I have to take it. I have to accept what God has given me. So he says, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. This is the Messiah. Jesus is the gift you and I need. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into heaven with good works. You can't go to church so much that God's going to go, okay, you're fine. Matter of fact, if you were to go to a church that says you're okay by doing any of those things, then I would question their theology. So Jesus is the gift we need. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 2 in the Christmas story says this, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. So Jesus is the gift we need. So God's kingdom, we keep this in mind, God's kingdom is eternal, and Jesus' gift is or Jesus is the gift we need, then in order to be a part of the kingdom, I have to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. In order to be a part of what God wants to do in me and through me to become everything that God created me to be, then I have to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. That's number one. Number two, Jesus rules over his people. Listen to what he says. And the government will be on his shoulders. Now, Most people want to argue that that says, or that meaning, or that statement is that the government, like worldly government, will be upon his shoulders. The reality of what this means is that Jesus is the ruler over his people, and the government, the leadership of his people, will be upon his shoulders. In other words, a pastor, 
an evangelist, a teacher, a preacher, anybody who serves within the church maintains a proper place or setting under the rule or authority of Jesus Christ. Everybody has an authority to report to, right? There is no pastor who does not have an authority to report to or sit under. Any pastor who violates or steps out under or away from the authority of Jesus Christ begins to take matters into his own hands. So Jesus rules over his people, and it's carrying this idea the same way that the leaders within the Judah, uh, the Ju- sorry, within Judah, within the southern tribe, those leaders were not effective leaders. They weren't strong leaders. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, one of the things that we see consistently is as the leader goes, so goes the people. When there's an evil leader, a wicked leader, he begins to lead the people in ways that they shouldn't go. And likewise, that's what happens. The leaders within the, the, the community of Judah, within those, that, that tribe, begins to lead these people in the wrong way. There can be only one king in a kingdom, right? Like, I like to tell my son this. I am the king in my kingdom, and you are in my kingdom. And when you become a dad and a husband, guess what you got? You're a king. But you have an authority figure that's over you, and that's called God. And so in my kingship, what I say goes. And in God's kingship or in God's kingdom, what he says goes. And so when he rules over his people, it's talking about this idea of the government will be on his shoulders. Why? Because everything is built upon the foundation of God in that. So listen, people in the kingdom are subject to who? The king. And so he literally says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He carries the weight of everything that's going to go on. He leads us in the direction we're supposed to go. See, Jesus didn't come to die and to sit in second place. Jesus didn't come to die and sit and be in the passenger seat. He didn't come to die on the cross and rise again to sit and be the backseat driver. He came to be the one who controls all things who leads us in the way of righteousness, who gives us the point of life, who shows us exactly what we're to do. And here's what's crazy about this. If we allow Christmas or what the world says is Christmas, right, to begin to cancel out the very truth of what God says Christmas should be about, then we begin to give in to the world's ways. And that's when Christmas becomes chaos rather than joy. Right? Like, I, I, I constantly think about this. Like, we, <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? Like, I love Christmas. Matter of fact, I was up on the house. We got back yesterday afternoon. I got the lights out. I'm starting to decorate the house with Christmas. I love it. I do. I love Christmas. We decorated our tree last night. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. Please hear me out. <laughs> November is not the time for Christmas music. And all those Christmas people are like, what are you, jerk? You know? <laughs> no, like, like, I'm the dude who's like, okay, Thanksgiving's over, now we go into Christmas season, right? It's, it's, it's like, oh, man. But, but for me, Christmas, I love Christmas. But we can't let Christmas become over, so overwhelming that we miss out on the joy of what Christmas means. I read an article yesterday about a lady who just recently passed away, 38 years old, left two sons behind, who wrote her own obituary. 
And the reason she wrote her own obituary is she's like, I want to have the last say. I don't want it to be about all this fluff and things like that. And the part that stuck out to me was this in her obituary. We allow things to become major things that should be minor things in the first place. And she goes, and we minimize the things that should be the most important. And one of the things she brought up is all the times I wish I could go back and not get bombarded by everything else that's going on and just spend time with my family. That I could just pour my life into him. And listen to what the Lord wants us to understand. When he talks about this idea of the government being on his shoulders, right? The one thing that happens when I believe when we die is there's going to be a point in time where we're going to say, man, I wish I would have. Or as you're preparing, I wish I would have not taken this for granted. I wish I would have been more committed. I wish I would have shared the gospel with this person. I wish I would have. When I lay myself under the authority of the perfect king, under the rule or the headship of Jesus, then God's rules and God rules his kingdom, which means he rules his church, which means he, we live according to the king's decrees, which means I put my life into action for the king and the king alone. That how I speak, how I act, all reflect the lordship and the love of Jesus Christ. So my question would be this year, as you jump into that, is how I'm acting, what I say and what I do, is that reflecting the lordship of Jesus in every area of my life? Because if it doesn't, then we have to begin to ask, is Jesus ruling over me or am I allowing Jesus control at times? Number three. If God's kingdom is established through the Messiah, then I want you to see this, that Jesus is the perfect king. Listen to what he says, continuing in verse 7. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I want to kind of unpack these a little bit. If you like to write them down, you can write them down. But I want you to get this into your mind and think about what he's saying. This idea of being a wise counselor. He's wonderful. He's beyond understanding. He is good to the greatest nature. I mean, if like, if we could have good to the infinity mark, right? Like for some of you math people, if we could just put it into that consideration, he is wonderful in all things. He is the counselor. In other words, he gives wisdom in my confusion, right? Anybody ever been confused? Where do I go next? What, what's the next step for me? He is the wisdom in our confusion. He is the mighty God. In other words, he is all powerful. He's the defender who shelters me in conflict, the very God who spoke all things into existence is the same God who died on the cross for you and I and the same God who rose again. He's the image. This is talking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him and through him, all things were created, were made, and all things exist for him. So Jesus is the perfect king. He's the, the mighty God. He's the watchful father. Think about this, eternal Father showing me compassion. Like God's grace was extended through his son, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he's the Prince of Peace. Now, as we enter into to this Christmas time, when I start bringing up peace, a lot of people are like, yeah, if you only knew what I had to deal with. Maybe it's family, I don't know. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's, I don't know where I'm gonna get my next paycheck or my next meal, or I don't know, but listen to what Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. 
That's the peace he's talking about. He's the prince of peace. In other words, he's the one who carries peace into existence. He's the one who brings us peace in the chaos. And so when we carry out this idea of Jesus being the perfect king, he embodies all of these characteristics. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, part of the Christmas story. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Right? Did you know that if you are a son or daughter of God, you have been created by him, and you have acknowledged Jesus as your Savior, his favor rests upon you. Do you think about that? Like the favor of the Lord rests upon you as a believer in Christ. Glory to God in the highest and peace to him who, whom his favor rests upon. Peace. I don't know about you, but over the last year, peace has been one of those things that's like, oh, I don't know if this is going to ever be something that exists. But is that because we allow certain things to speak into our life and not being re- resolved to know that God has everything in control? Jesus is the perfect king. He is the prince of peace because he has everything in control. As we look back, as we're going to go back and we're going to finish up 1 Peter at the beginning of the year at some point, we'll, we'll get in and finish that up. I want you to think about this. We've just dealt in 1 Peter where we're talking about submitting to the authority of, of, of government, submitting to our, our bosses and working, submitting to our wives and husbands, submitting to one another within the body of Christ right? All of those things, I believe, lead to a point of peace. Why? Because those are things that the Bible tells us to do. Those are things that God calls us to do. It's not a, well, if I want to, it's a, you are supposed to. And when I submit myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and I operate under that in every realm of my life, then there is a peace in my life. Because I've submitted in obedience to Jesus Christ first and foremost. So he brings peace. And then here's what's crazy about 1 Peter. Here in a little bit, he's going to talk about what it means to have joy and peace in the midst of persecution. When it may cost you your life to follow Jesus. And you sit there and you go, wait, what? Peace? Are you kidding me? Jesus is the prince of peace even though he knew he was being born and would later die. Jesus was peaceful in understanding and knowing the will of the Father. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the perfect king. And then number four, and here's one I want to wrap up with. If God's kingdom is established through the Messiah, then I have to understand that Jesus' kingdom will continue to expand or grow. God's kingdom will grow. Listen to what he says in verse seven. Of the increase of his government, that's God's kingdom, of the increase of it, as well as peace, there will be no end. So here's what he's saying. In the midst of the cancel culture, my kingdom will continue to grow. It's going to continue to expand. It's going to continue to increase. The peace within the people of my kingdom will continue to grow. And so here's the question you have to begin to ask. If I have no peace, am I allowing the outside world to influence me and not allowing obedience to Jesus to push me forward. Because a lack of peace, I would say, reflects a lack of trust or faith in what God is doing in your life. 
And here's what's crazy about it. Nowhere in Scripture does God say life's going to be easy. Nowhere in Scripture does he promise that everything is going to be good. Nowhere in Scripture does he say there's never going to be conflict. Nowhere in Scripture does he ever say, hey, you're going to have it good. You're going to make lots of money. You're never going to have to worry about where your next meal is going to come. You're never going to have to worry about dealing with pain and heartache. You're never going to have to worry about dealing with death. You're never going to have to worry about it. Nowhere in Scripture does he promise that. But what does he promise? That the one whose mind is steadfast on God will remain at peace. Regardless of where I go, regardless of what I do, regardless of the dangers I face, regardless of what the enemy tries to do in me, my mind is complete and I can rest assured in the peace of God, of the increase of his government, right? In other words, it's this, that the kingdom of God cannot be canceled. It's only going to expand. Here's what's crazy. In the midst of canceling, Every country, every nation that we've seen this happen in, when persecution rose, guess what happens? The kingdom grows. Persecution rises up, the kingdom continues to grow. That kind of is backwards in, to a certain extent in an American mindset, isn't it? Like usually in an American mindset, when it gets tough, when it's going to get hard, less people, less and less people. When the truth of the matter is, what Jesus lays out is this, that when it gets tough, my kingdom expands. When the pain and the heartache of following me and the struggle and the difficulty continues, my kingdom will grow. I, and here's what has to be the comfort for us. Jesus says this, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not prevail. So I will continue to build my bride. I will continue to build my kingdom. I will continue to build my church. And that's built upon the promise of Jesus in all things. His kingdom will expand. It cannot be canceled. It cannot lose power. It will not lose influence. And it will not lose peace. For those in the kingdom, we can understand. For thousands of years, people and kingdoms have attempted to stop the kingdom of God from growing, and they've attempted with no avail because God is the one who sits on his throne. Listen again what he says. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. So in the midst of this cancel culture, He's literally saying, I will build it, and I will establish it, and I will uphold it with justice and righteousness. In other words, with clarity of what is right and what is just, that he will be the one that builds it up. As a matter of fact, as we think about this idea of the increase of his kingdom and of peace, I want to share some scripture with you just real quick. Peace is this whole idea of an absence of fear and a beginning of knowledge, if we see that through scripture. Psalm chapter 34, verse 14 says, seek peace and pursue it. What peace is he talking about? The peace of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 165, great peace have they who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Proverbs 14, verse 30, a heart of peace gives life to the body. I believe one of the biggest struggles we have, the reason oftentimes we don't have peace and we don't have life in our body is because we've been bombarded and we've allowed everything that's going on in the world to influence our attitude and our actions. When the truth of the matter or the truth remains that we, what we have to do is focus on Jesus. 
Think about this. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's gone through every trial, every struggle, every difficulty that we've faced. He was born into a kingdom or into a, a, a rule or a society at the time that wanted to cancel him. If you know anything about this, the story of Jesus in Scripture, what ends up happening is they set out to destroy him, right? Right? He's, he's, he's born, he's living, the wise men show up, and they're like, go and find out where he's at because I want to worship him. And the wise men go, and they find out where he's at, and they worship him, and then they choose not to go back because they know exactly what's going to happen. That the goal wasn't to worship Jesus, but the goal was to take him out. And please remember when I say this. That was the get-go. From the get-go, Jesus was doomed for death. And what we have to understand is this. That is the very thing we needed. Because Jesus paid the price that you and I could not pay. So of the greatness of his kingdom and government and peace, there will be no end. And that's the beauty. That's the promise. The eternal rule of King Jesus will grow in peace and justice, and it will have no end forever and ever. Can I let you in on just a quick thing to think about as we think about peace? Do you realize that fear and anxiety within a body of believers is what cripples or stops any sort of forward momentum? We worry about what's going to happen. We're fearful about the future. And when we become fearful about those things, it cripples It will cripple the effectiveness of a church when you allow fear to freeze you in your tracks. When what Jesus is laying out here, what we're being taught here about the truth of Christ is this, that we don't give in to fear. We don't cater to fear. We're not worried about what could happen to us, that we have to remain steadfast and obedient to what God has called us to do. Because regardless of what the world thinks, the reason the world doesn't have peace is because it doesn't know Jesus. And yet we can remain at peace and we can walk with hope knowing that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. See, as the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of, of a sound mind. So here's the promise, he says. My kingdom will always grow. The peace that you will have through me will continue to increase. But the minute I begin to battle with the fear and anxiety and worry and everything else, then I begin to understand that I'm not building my hope on anything else but worldly ideas. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. And then we go into the verse of that song. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't be Marvin Harry. Don't be the Grinch. Don't allow the Grinch to come in and steal Christmas. Don't allow Marvin Harry to come in and mess it up for you either. And what I mean by that is this that we can't allow the world, the outside influences that, that, that we can't control to steal the peace of Jesus Christ in the season that we enter into. 
You have great hope. I have great hope in who Christ is and what Christ wants to do. And please hear me out when I say this, that Jesus has every intent to continue to build and grow and nurture and impact the world through his church, through the bride of Christ. Jesus lived a life no one else could live to take the place no one else could take and pay the price that no one else could pay to establish his kingdom and make a way for his people. And guess what? There's lots of people out there right now who feel canceled. There's lots of people out there right now who are looking for hope. There's lots of people right now who the world's telling them, you don't matter. When Jesus is calling and saying, yes, they do. And so here's how I just want to close. We're going to close with this. That we wouldn't be so overwhelmed this Christmas season that we miss out on the very thing that Jesus offers, which is peace. He's going to build his kingdom. He's going to give us peace. That he's going to expand it. That he does the work. And so here is just simply what I want to do. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is and you want to nail that down today, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you about it. But I also want us, and I believe I'm just based upon who I'm looking at today, that we're believers. But maybe we've given fear too much power in our life. Maybe we've given anxiety and and struggles and depression too much power in our lives. Maybe, just maybe, we have to let Jesus take control. We live in a world that we like to control everything, but what we're starting to realize more and more is that you and I don't control squat. Like, all you can control is you, right? Like, I can't, I, I, as a father, I try and do everything I can to control my kids. And that's a never-ending job. That oftentimes doesn't go always the way I want it to. But all I can do is control myself. In order to control myself, I have to place myself under the authority of the one who loved me and who died for me and rose again for me so that I could experience the life he wants me to experience. Father, we thank you and ask you that you would just give us, show us in our lives where we need to correct our attitudes and our actions because maybe we've tried to control things more in our own power than in obedience to what you've called us to do. God, maybe as we enter into this Christmas season, we're more worried about the chaos than peace. God, may we not look at the big things, but look at the small things that we could begin to enjoy and love and celebrate. To not let the time pass us by, but to take into those small things so that we can receive the most joy and the most peace out of the very little things that we oftentimes take for granted. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this church body. God, may we pursue after you on a daily basis, longing to pursue the peace that you offer, seeking you in every way. And God, maybe there's some attitudes and actions, some relationships within that need to be corrected. They need to be just confessed of, that we got to work through, that we've allowed Satan a foothold in. God, would you just convict us of that in that way as well? That we can work together because we're not against each other, we're for each other. So Lord, we pray 
that you are honored and glorified today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.